marvelous. Seven angels having those seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. After these things I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And out of the temple came the seven angels having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen and having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who, who is to be, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Then the, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and did not repent of, of their deeds. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And they were spirits of demons performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame." And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such, as, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, since that plague was exceedingly great. Let's pray together. Lord, you are awesome. You are almighty. And Lord, we see that you are, you are holy and you are moral and you track everything that man does against you. You know all of it, Lord, and we know that you're going to bring this rebellious uh, rule of man to an end someday. And we look forward to that day. But we know you have plans and purposes for us reading this right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would accomplish those purposes in us for your glory, Lord. Use this to make us more like Christ, however you choose. Help us to hear your spirit speak to us collectively and also individually. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated.
Well, after waiting a while to reach these um, seven bowl judgments, we've been waiting for a long time. Remember, there's three sets of seven related to God's general judgments during the time of Revelation. There's the three or the seven uh, seals that are broken, the seven trumpets that are blown, and the seven bowls that are poured out. And related to the seals, the seventh seal gave way to the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet gave way to the seven bowls. And so uh, we've seen that, and so now we're finally here. There's been some parenthetical sections where God was revealing things to us and giving men plenty of time to repent and so forth, but now he's finally had enough. It's finally time for him to finish his judgment and pour out his wrath these bold judgments even though they may appear shorter in terms of their description in the verses they are much more potent in their strength than the previous ones in many ways and they come right on top one after another you know kind of like as i said a few weeks ago a fireworks display you know when you go to see the big fireworks they save a bunch for the end and they just boom, 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 boom. They all go off at once. And that's the case here with these seven uh, bowl judgments. And so seeing these judgments, we understand that God is a just God. He's not just a God of love. He's a just God. He's a God of justice. He's a moral God. Sometimes we talk about God being holy, and that means to be completely separate. So he's different in a whole other category. There's God, and then there's creation. There is no other. He's, he's, he doesn't share that category with anyone else. And sometimes we forget that holiness in many ways articulates morality. We have a moral God. Our God is moral. <laughs> sometimes this world needs to hear that from us. We, God is a moral God. There's a reason why he's given mankind a conscience. There's a reason why he's given us a means by which to know what his desire is for our behavior. And so it's good to be reminded of that, but the biggest sin of all, I mean, they're breaking laws, we're breaking laws, we've, we sin, they sin, you know, we fall short of this standard of perfection all the time. But this world is rejecting, rejecting, rejecting. And at the end, when we see the great white throne judgment, we're not just going to see the, the book of life, the Lamb's book of life opened up. He says there's other books that are going to be opened. And he says that they're going to be judged according to what they've done. So God tracks our sin. He tracks those things in the sense of when people haven't received him yet, he knows what they've done against him. And so this, this, this behavior is going to be, uh, he's, there's going to be a day of reckoning. But there's something greater than all of that, and that is the rejection of Christ. And, and, he, and Jesus talked about this in John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, when he said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So yes, there are other things. Other books are open at the great white throne judgment. Men are held accountable for their behavior. But when it says that they are cast in the lake of fire, it's emphasizing that their names are not written in the Lamb's book of life because they hadn't received Christ. So we will see that as we get closer. Verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, because John had already seen some signs. Great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. So he tells us these last seven plagues or judgments constitute the completion of God's wrath. And that's why we see the number seven. Because seven is the number of completion or fulfillment. And so that's why he brings that up here. And, and so we need to know that God is completing or fulfilling his judgment upon this world with these seven last bold judgments. What's interesting about verse 1 is that the word wrath there at the end of verse 1, it's an interesting word because most of the time when you see the word wrath in the New Testament, especially related to God's wrath, it's talking about a wrath that's kind of premeditated, calculated, that uh, thinks things through and meets uh, the, that wrath out properly and so forth. And then there's another word that means just like a flashpoint, just like a, um, you know, this, not, not an out, outburst per se, but, but it's a um, very, very aggressive type of wrath. That's the word that's used there at the end of verse 1. Even though all of these judgments are planned, they are thought through, they are uh, exactly proportional to what people deserve, 
there is a real wrath that gets poured out where he is uh, punishing this world purposefully. And so we need to see that. And then he says in verse 2, and I saw something like, notice the word like there, like a sea of glass mingled with fire and those who have the victory over the beast, over the image and over his mark and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God. So he's, that's the best way that John can describe this, this massive, huge platform and this place upon which people are standing there is this sea of glass. And he says it's mingled with fire. Now that can mean that it's refracting or reflecting the, the holiness of God and fire and so forth that's there. It's reflecting off of it. Or in and of itself has fire in, mingled with it somehow within that sea that's like glass. And so John's doing his best to, to describe this. And, 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 you know, he's doing a great job, I think. I don't think I could have described these things anywhere close to as accurate as John has. So he's talking about these, these people that have been martyred over not taking the mark, not, not worshiping the Antichrist. We're, we were told in chapter 12, verse 11, that they overcame um, the dragon by the blood of the lamb. And then we were told in chapter 13, verse 10, here is the patience and faith of the saints. And then we were told in chapter 14, verse 13, Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. All speaking of these tribulation saints that, that did not take the mark of the beast. They did not worship him. The whole world is doing that, and it seems so obvious. The supernatural deception is so strong. And it's so potent, it seems insane for anyone to not worship this, this very charismatic man and, and, and take his mark of worship and adoration. He's not going to look like this wicked, evil man. He's going to be slick. He's going to look great in those three-piece suits. He's gonna just, his hair's going to be nice. I mean, he's going to be articulate. He's going to be very diplomatic. He's going to be polite. He's going to be all these things. But yet blasphemy is going to come out of his mouth. And his actions are going to be uh, completely against God and so forth. And people will absolutely love him. And he will hunt down those that don't take that mark. And they will be beheaded. They will be martyred. And so here God is emphasizing the victory. Notice in verse 2, the word victory. Those who have the victory over the beast because they didn't succumb to him they didn't submit to him we are called to be overcomers it's in our spiritual dna it's who god made us to be we are called to be overcomers and you know what the key is to overcoming is our faith our faith in christ john already spoke of this in his first epistle he said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in Him, not our faith in our faith. That's false teaching. Our faith in Him enables us to be able to overcome. And so we have, what do we have to overcome a lot of times? What's, what's 90% of what we have to overcome? Our flesh our sinful mind, our emotions. And so when we are, we can't live according to our mind and our thoughts and our, we can't live according to our emotions and what, what, what circumstances are going against us. We can't let those things dictate if we're going to obey the Lord, follow the Lord, be true to the Lord. We can't let that happen. They, they were designed to overcome and they have the same DNA as we do. We are called to overcome and God will get the glory through that now notice in verses three and four these tribulation saints break out in worship they sing the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and marvelous are your works Lord God almighty just and true are your ways O king of the saints who shall not fear you O Lord and glorify your name for you alone are holy for all nations shall come and worship before you for your judgments have been, and notice the last word, manifested. His judgments haven't been manifested 
it, to this extent right now. But this world has seen so much. This is before, this is before the, these bold judgments have been poured out. They're saying this. So they've already seen the seal judgments and the trumpet judgments. And they're saying You're, these judgments are totally, completely appropriate. And they're going to continue to say that. The Song of Moses was sung by Moses and the children of Israel. You can see it in Exodus chapter 15. After God delivers them through the Red Sea, they glorify God. And what Moses does is he itemizes all the specific things that God did for them. And then in the context of those very specific things, he highlights how powerful God was in order to accomplish that. And so he recounts what God did. That's important for us. A lot of our worship songs that we sing came out of hearts that have gone through incredible hardship and difficulty and God's power was evident and came through for them and it overflows into a worship chorus and they have to write it down. Think about the, the hippies that received Christ you know, in the Jesus movement in Southern California and Pastor Chuck said as they came to him and said, can, we, can I share this song that the Lord gave to me? It's a result of what he's done in my life and I want to share it. And in that context, it was all hymns back then. No one was doing choruses. And the Spirit moved on these hippies to write down these things. And Pastor Chuck, so thank, I'm so thankful he didn't get, get stuck in his tradition and not be open to the Spirit. He could tell that the Spirit was moving. He let them share. And because of that, we're singing choruses today as a result of that. And Maranatha music kind of came on board after that. And so God gives us that history with him. He gives us that track record with him. And it's good for us to have a song from him that he's given us. It's good for us to say, God, you are powerful when this happened. When I almost died, you were powerful and you saved my life. Or when I, when I was completely without hope, you came and you changed my life and put my feet upon a rock and I want to just sing to you and I want to express my thankfulness to you because that very specific praise and that very specific worship means a lot to him. When your children thank you for very specific things, the more specific they are, the more it blesses you. You're like, you remembered that? You remembered when we did that? Yeah, I remember that. It blesses, it blesses us and it blesses God when we, when we do that. It's a beautiful thing sometimes there is a problem because we don't want to go through situations that would require a miracle that would enable that would provide an opportunity for God's power to be shown so that we can have a song of Moses we don't want to be in impossible situations in the first place don't stretch me God I don't want to be stretched I want to grow but I want to be stretched I want to be more fruitful but I want to be broken I want to be humble but I don't want to be taught a lesson God says you ha- it's all required. It's all part of it. And they had to go through that. And, and the one thing I want to emphasize here is as they sing this song, there's no whys here. There's no why did you allow this? There's no why did you allow our heads to be you know, cut off? Or why did you? There's no questioning God here. And I know when we get to heaven, we're not going to be questioning God and all of our new bodies and so forth. But why not glorify God now by trusting him with our faith things and, and glorifying him when we don't understand and say, God, I know that you're, I don't see it now. I don't understand why you're allowing this. It, it, it totally confounds me. But I trust you and I honor you with my faith and I'm going to obey you just as much as I ever have. I'm not going to hold a grudge I'm not going to put, do the silent treatment on you. <laughs> I'm going to do the right thing even when I don't understand. See, that's what God's aiming at in our lives. They sing without any complaints here. His judgments are right. His, his plan was appropriate. And they just worship him with everything. And it's beautiful. Verse 5. After these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. Now you remember that the tabernacle and the temple were both models or copies that, that God laid out for Moses to emulate and so forth. And I believe that this, when it's talking about the, the testimony there, the Ark of the Covenant and the Ten Commandments, it's, it's like God's wrath is directly connected to his, to his justice and his holy standard of perfection. Because that's what that law represented. No one can live up to that, to that, to that law. No one could even come close to living up to that, that law. And so this world has been in rebellion to those laws, and so it's being opened 
now. And it's been said that if you, know, you don't want God's grace, you're going to get his law. If you don't want Jesus, you're going to get Moses. If you don't want the grace of God through what Jesus did, then you're going to get Moses in the sense you're going to get the law applied to your life. Do you want all 613 laws applied to your life at the end of your life? You don't. You want the grace of God applied to your life. Verse 6. And out of the temple came the seven angels, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, and having their chests girded with golden bands. This is much, very similar to the, what the priests would wear. So it's speaking of their service to the Lord and worship and so forth, and their purity and their holiness. And then also the gold represents being part of a monarchy, being part of a kingdom. And then he says, then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And they had bowls in the tabernacle and in the temple. They used bowls for a lot of different things. So this isn't just, you know, a cereal bowl or something. I mean, this is a, a, this is a ceremonial bowl there. It's, it's in, the, in the context of the ministry of the Lord in his tabernacle in, in heaven there. And they're full of the wrath of God who lives forever. So they, they are completely equipped, these angels, to pour out God's wrath. God even doesn't do it directly himself. He dis, uh, dispatches angels to do it for them. And notice it says, full of the wrath of God. They are full. There's no more space in those bowls for any more wrath. They are overflowing, practically, with the wrath of God. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. And this, is, this has happened in other times in the Old Testament where the glory of God showed up so powerfully, like when they dedicated the temple, and other times where that smoke was there and it was just the glory of God and they were overwhelmed. Many of whom were overwhelmed in a way that affected their physical faculties by this incredible presence of the Lord, and, and especially related to the temple, it was showing that God's approval was upon that temple, that they had followed his instructions on how to build it, and they had approached God the way that he had laid out for them. You can't just approach God any, way, any old way that you want. Read Leviticus. <laughs> they had to do so much stuff to approach God a certain way, and, and it just shows you how unapproachable he is apart from uh, Christ and even Christ you have to approach him and approach God through Christ a certain way as well God gets to choose you know, sometimes I've asked some believers does God is it reasonable that God gets to choose how people go to heaven or not and is it reasonable for him to make it a narrow way can God do that does God have permission to do that and they hate that question because they want to say that the road is broad and there's many ways to God, but they have to admit that God, if God exists, he has to have the right to be able to make it as narrow or as broad as he wants to. So, but it, it is approaching him. You have to approach him a very specific way. Now, there's a lot of theories on why this happened in verse 8, that no one was able to enter the temple. We ultimately don't know for sure, but I'm inclined to believe personally that God, he's, he is not full of joy at this moment i don't believe that he is just celebrating and wants to be by himself and to celebrate that these plagues are going out these these bold judgments are going out and the reason why i believe that is because of what we know about his character and how he looks at the lost and so forth um, and and also how he imparts to us as parents those of us that have children how what our disposition is or how we feel about when we have to uh, punish children and I know that this is a little bit different because they're not his children in a sense they're children of creation I mean they're they're uh, they're he is their creator and not father and son like we are father and son but God so loved the world he loves the entire world and Peter tells us by the spirit that God is willing that it is not willing that any should perish and he's he just you know he talked about when especially with the woman at the well you know my, the, my food is to do the will who sent me he was seeking and saving those that are lost on the way to the cross and Luke it tells us he was he steadfastly faced towards Jerusalem and started making his way and on the way he's he's healing Bartimaeus he's saving Zacchaeus 
He's, he's still wanting to reach them. And we see through this whole book, of, as we've gone through it, him trying to reach people, even in the context of pouring out his wrath. He loves the world. He loves them. Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, he, uh, God tells him, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So I don't think that he's enjoying this whatsoever, like we can. You even see it in David. David's honest with his feelings in, in, the, in the Psalms when he's like, break their teeth out with the, you know, you know, he's just expressing his desire for God's enemies to be conquered. But no one, in, God doesn't enjoy uh, the death of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy doing any of this. And I think it's a good instruction for us because we shouldn't either. Because God's heart is to reach people. He doesn't want to be forced to have to judge them. And so it's good for us to see that he doesn't, he doesn't uh, enjoy that. And I believe a person who enjoys the death of the wicked or people getting judged doesn't understand God's heart in addition to forgetting how much grace it took to save them and how much they are very similar to all those people that they feel are completely different from them. Well, I'm not them. Well, I haven't done this. I'm not that bad. As long as we fall short of the standard of perfection, we're just as sinful. We're just as fallen short or fallen as they are and so forth. So it's important for us to see that, that it's, it, God doesn't have, um, he doesn't have that in him to, in, to completely enjoy when people, I mean, he, he's in, he enjoys it in the sense that justice is being done because justice needs to be done, but he isn't rejoicing over those people and what happened to them. And so it very well could be, we don't know, but very well could be that he's in there and just wants to be by himself. You know, like when you, when your children are punished, you're not wanting to have a party. You're grieved. And I think that's probably what's going on here. He's grieved that this is going on. Chapter 16. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. Now these, these judgments, as we'll get into them, they're very similar to a lot of the plagues that God put on Egypt. And, and these, these aren't just accidental or just, they're not, it's, it's not as if they haven't been thought through. These things that he does are very specific for very specific reasons. And he's also, with these judgments, saying to this, making a statement about the dragon, the beast, and the, the false prophet that they are not in control. They've been acting as if they're sovereign. They've been acting as if they're the ones that make the decisions, but they're, they're not the ones that are in control. And so this unholy trinity or this false trinity is going to be proven powerless over every single judgment. They cannot stop it no matter what, how much they try. And at the end, we're going to see a lot of these armies coming against the Antichrist, and that's probably a lot of a lot of that is probably because they're mad that he can't stop all this stuff. If he claim, claims to be so powerful and he does these miracles, why can't he stop these things from happening? You can only spin these things so long before it's evident that you're powerless and it's it, you're out of control of what's going on. Verse two. So the first went and poured out his bowl upon the earth. And a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. So these sores come out. It reminds me of uh, a lot of times, and the same word is used to describe like a leper having his sores that they would have. Um, and just very, very painful. And, and I, it's very possible that God is saying, I'm making you outwardly what you already are inwardly. And you are horrible inside but yet you think that you're so great but you're not and so these 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 people are are suffering and notice he says the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image again i want to remind you and remind myself that this worship of the beast and the mark they go together it's not just this mark it's the fact that they worshiped the beast and took the mark so he's saying, basically, if you want, you want a mark, I'll give you a mark. I'll give you marks all over your body with these sores. Verse 3, Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now, this isn't unprecedented. 
Moses threw his staff down and touched the Nile. Things died, so forth. And you can imagine the rancid odor of all those things dying uh, and so forth, and just that blood there, and, and every creature dying and so forth. We see him touch the, those things with the second trumpet, and a third of them died, but now all of them died in, in the sea. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now this has, I believe, has to be at the very end, because they have only so much water. And all the springs and everything turned to blood. They're not going to be able to drink and so forth. So I believe this, and we already see this in the chronology anyway. This is is getting to the very end of the seven-year tribulation. So this is entirely appropriate. God is saying, you want blood? I'll give you blood. And, And he's completely righteous in that judgment. Moses said, when he was interceding for, interceding for Lot and so forth, he was saying, he said to God that will not the judge of the earth do right? Because he, God does do the right thing. He does judge appropriately. And that, that's something that we have to remember because sometimes we want to take that judgment in our own hands. And we say, well, you know, the Bible says judgment is mine. You know, that's the wrong mind. God is saying that judgment and, and in, you know, getting revenge and so forth. That's God's. He gets to reserve that for himself. You're, we're reading it wrong. If we say he says it's mine, he's the one that's talking. So we have to trust him when others hurt us because God's going to do the right thing. Either those people are going to receive Christ. And sometimes we can be, well, I don't want them to receive Christ. I don't want them to, I want them to, I don't want them to, you know, that's just in our heart, all of our hearts at times. But either they're going to get saved or the appropriate judgment is going to happen. We don't have to take matters in our own hands. We never can do, we do it correctly anyway. There's a reason when he said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, God was limiting man because we would do way more than that. We would do more. He's he's not saying you need to take because you're going to do less. You're going to, you're going to take out a, you know, a, a, a hangnail for an eye you're not going to do enough to get back at people so i need to make sure you go up to the line no he's keeping people from going over because we go way beyond I mean, you growing up with you have siblings you know if you get socked in the arm you're not just socking them back in the arm you're socking them in the arm you're socking them in the leg you're tripping them you're doing all kinds of stuff you're going far beyond what normally should happen and 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 so we can trust when Whoever's hurt us in this life. Maybe you're struggling with forgiving someone from a long time ago. God has a very low tolerance for unforgiveness in his people in light of how he's forgiven us. So God's called you to forgive and you need to trust him with whatever's happened and whatever is their due, whatever's coming to them because he's going to flawlessly and perfectly execute the right decision for them. So that's a good thing for us to see. Verse 5, and I heard the angel of the waters saying, you are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets and you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. And I heard another from the altar saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgment. So the angel responds with great worship. And the song declares how righteous God is. Again, he's perfectly just in how he uh, gets even or, you know what I'm saying, how he pays people back or gives them what they deserve. He's completely perfect in that. So he's telling him, you want to shed blood? I'll give you blood to drink. I'll give you that. You want that? You're bloodthirsty with killing people, killing my people, killing the prophets? I'll give you blood to drink. And you won't be able to have anything else but that uh, blood. Now, in verse 7, we're told who agrees with the angel's worship of God for judgments. And whoever it is, uh, they give the angel a hearty amen. So there's amens in heaven. <laughs> and, and I heard this, you know, verse 7, and I heard another from the altar saying, we're not told who that is. And people like to become experts on that. And the Bible's silent, so we don't know who that is. All we know is someone is saying, even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments and that's a correct statement 
because it's true. God, his righteous, his judgments are true. They are righteous. They are perfect. They are flawless. And that's why when we look at this book, we can't think, oh, look how what God's doing. It's just, it's too much. It's, it's excessive. It's not excessive at all because of what mankind has done. Every thought, every motive, every hidden thing that no one knows about, he sees all of it. So all these things are completely righteous and they are completely true in, in what is appropriate. Verse 8, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. I don't I have no idea what the temperature would be. I mean, 200 degrees, 250 degrees. I have no idea what the him allowing that heat to come and to scorch them, and there won't be any way to, to get away from it. Can you imagine now? You don't have water, and now you have this heat coming, scorching men, and they blaspheme the name of God. They know who's doing it. They know exactly who's doing it, and they blaspheme him because of these plagues. And notice the end of verse 9, and they did not repent and give him glory. They have such hardened hearts. And really, I believe this is giving them a foretaste of hell. They have time to repent. They have that time. They, they, you know, that they, there is room there. But they choose to not do it, and they blaspheme God, and he's saying, this is what's coming. You think this is hot. Wait to see what's coming your way. Verse 10, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And this is, again, another foretaste. I don't know how God can make have unquenchable fire with hell, the lake of fire, but yet he referred to hell as having darkness. I mean, God can obviously do both there. But I believe this is a foretaste as well. I mean, people are tortured by allowing them to stay in darkness for extended periods of time. It'll make people go crazy, not, not having any light there. And, and something about this judgment causes physical pain for them. And it, and it says they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. You ever been in so much pain where it somehow brings comfort by gnawing on your tongue? I haven't, but I'm sure that that... That is the case, that you could be in such great pain that that somehow brings some kind of relief or distracts you from the pain. But it's the Antichrist kingdom there in the middle of verse 10. And his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And then they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. So they continue to blaspheme God. The cumulative effect of all these judgments are getting worse and worse and worse. And it says they blaspheme him and they did not repent. This is the last reference that they did not repent. God has given them every chance to repent and they will not do it. They know it's him. They know only God could do this, but yet they will not repent. It just shows you how hard our hearts can get. It's just incredible. And he wants them to repent. He's reaching out to them. God has so many messengers that he has sent to them over and over again. The 144,000, the two witnesses, the people that came to Christ through them sharing and, and getting martyred and so forth. God has preached the gospel from an angel. I mean, how many different ways can God try to reach man? And don't believe anyone that ever says that God's judgments are harsh and all he wants to do is just kill people in the book of Revelation. You have seen over and over again God trying to reach to, out to this world and save this world in the context of that judgment because that's who he is. He's, he's a gracious and loving God. Verse 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now this would cause a lot of suffering for people in that region but he gives the reason, the main reason at the end of verse 12 is that the kings from the east might be prepared. Because we, we were told back in, um, I think it was chapter 9, somewhere in there, that the, God was preparing 200 million man army. So there's going to come this massive army from the east and there needs to be a physical way that they can get to Israel. 
So he's drying, he's going to dry up that river there for them to be able to physically get there. So that's what he's talking about. Verse 13. And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. And, and they are spirits of demons, performing signs, which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of the great day of God Almighty. So these demons come out and they go, they're, they're dispatched to go to the kings of the earth. But notice he also says, uh, and of the whole world in verse 14. So it's not just to affect the kings, it's affect the whole world. So the whole world's going to be in agreement that these kings should go and into battle. And these kings are going to think that they're going to Israel to battle the Antichrist because he's going to have some rebellion on his hands. So this is God, or this is Satan rather, turning on the Antichrist and the false prophet and, and, and having them go to fight God Almighty, even though they're thinking that they're going to fight the, the Antichrist, these kings are going forth and God wants that, or um, God knows that battle's going to happen and Satan is trying to make it happen and somehow thinking that he can win, that somehow he can take these kingdoms because they're all going to converge on Israel trying to fight the Antichrist and then they're going to turn their attention on Jesus when he physically comes back with us trailing behind him and they're going to try to make war against him. And that's when God's going to laugh as we'll look at when we go to um, later on in the book when we see those battles. So those demons are like frogs. I mean, you like frogs? I don't like... I mean, as a kid, I thought they were pretty cool. Um, But that's just this... It just shows how horrible these demons are. They're just gross. And that's the closest he can come. He doesn't say they were frogs. He says they're like frogs coming out and and going to move on these kings and the whole world to go uh, uh, gather them to battle for the great day uh, of God Almighty. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So God is warning his enemies. And they gathered them together to the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. That's important for us to see. Because there's a very specific place. This isn't spiritualized. People love to spiritualize this stuff and make it into something it's not. He names a physical place. Armageddon means uh, the mountain place. It's the, it's the area there where there's a big valley. Napoleon called it one of the most uh, perfect places for a battle he'd ever seen. It's a huge, 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 huge valley there. The Valley of Megiddo. And that all the nations are going to gather together against uh, one another to fight the Antichrist. And then they're all going to unite. And, and like I said, when they look up and they see him and us coming behind him to make to make war verse 17 then the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying it is done now now we're not told what that judgment uh is it's poured out into the air where he's going to get into the rest of it but there's probably something else related to it that we're not given here then that's why he has to pour it into the air who may, may, may be hard for people to breathe or I have no idea. But he says, a loud voice came out of the temple in heaven from the throne saying, it is done. No more holding back. No more giving people time to repent. God unloads his final judgment. It's flawless. It's perfect. It's completely uh, just. And it's completely appropriate. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. God says at the end of these judgments, it is done. Basically the same thing. It is finished. And if we reject the first, it is finished. Unfortunately, we're going to have to face the second one when he says it is done and we're facing all of those judgments. And God doesn't want that for anyone. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. So that's pretty strong. I mean, I can't even imagine that. And now the great city was divided into three parts. Many people believe that's talking about Babylon that will be rebuilt, but we're not told specifically. 
and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Just think about the fierceness of this judgment. It's the final one of this final set of judgments. That final one. And it's so great, it drastically changes the topography of the earth. There's no more mountains. There's no more islands. Think about that. Think about the Himalayas or Mount Everest. They're gone. Think about every island. Gone. Hope the Searles, you know... (laughs) I mean, they're raptured, I mean, by then, but man, they're in Hawaii. It's going to be gone. No more Hawaii. Every island, gone. Fled away. Mountains could not be found. And then these hailstones. A talent is 90 to 100 pounds. Think about that. We sometimes, we see golf ball size hailstones on the news, definitely not here. We see it on the news and just does so much damage. How much does that weigh? I don't know. A pound, maybe? Half a pound? Think about 90 to 100 pounds. I mean, I think of those big old massive sacks of onions that, or these big, huge 100-pound bags of dog food or whatever. I mean, these huge things. I mean, that's just going to crush every building. It's going to just destroy people. I mean, I can't even imagine that kind of uh, judgment coming down upon the earth. I mean, if you can take out, I bet you the volcanoes are going to be erupting. They have to be erupting with, with that kind of an earthquake. I mean, you just think of the power of Mount St. Helens going off back in the 80s. And just think of that kind of earthquake shaking and probably change the axis of the earth. And, and all those things happen all at, all at once for that final, that final uh, judgment. And, you know, someone has said that these, these hailstones is appropriate because there all these unbelievers are blaspheming and blaspheming God and the, the penalty in the in Leviticus uh, I believe it's 18 for for blasphemy was stoning so he's like stoning uh, the world for their blasphemy I can't even uh, imagine it and then he adds more blasphemy men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail since that plague was exceedingly great so important for us to see finishing up the we're going to start chapter 17 next week lord willing but we as we consider the magnitude of god's judgment on mankind we need to remember that mankind deserves it deserves every bit of it it's not it's not disproportionate to what they deserve it's exactly what they deserve and we deserve that judgment for our sin and god put his wrath upon christ that we deserved and we have that applied to our lives that's the only reason why we don't we're not a part of this we're told that we're not appointed unto wrath so we don't have to fear the book of revelation it's so funny when you start studying the book you hear people say i'm afraid of the book of revelation i'm afraid i mean talking about believers there's no reason for us to be afraid of the book of revelation at all but the i think one of the main applications is to be thankful so much for his grace that we won't have to face that kind of judgment. And to also remember that God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. He doesn't enjoy that. Because if we're enjoying when people get their due, it really hinders us from reaching people. It really makes us, we don't want to pray for them. We don't want to reach out to them. We don't want to share the gospel. When I was a new Christian, <laughs> I, I worked at a car dealership in Modesto. And I was around all these mechanics and so forth and I would share the gospel, and they would say horrible things to me at times. And I would sometimes catch myself preaching the gospel to get back at them, <laughs> you know, to, to tell them how much they were going to hell and, you know, all these things. And I wasn't trying to, there was no love there. I wasn't trying to reach them. I was trying to basically pronounce judgment on them by preaching the gospel in, in a twisted way. That's just how messed up I am. Uh, but we have to have... We want to have God's heart that he has for people. He doesn't give up on people. He wants to keep reaching them. And he'll take care of those that have hurt us. His judgments are going to be perfect related to them. But he wants us to have a soft heart. Remember Jesus said to pray for those who despitefully use you. 
He said to love your enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And you, you, you can look at that and go, that is so far beyond what I am capable of. Yes, you're right. Same with, us, same with me. It's beyond what we're capable of in our flesh. But by the Holy Spirit and by what he can do in our lives, as we're filled with the Spirit and as we're having the fruit of self-control come out of our lives by the Spirit, we can do that. We can forgive. We can let people off the hook. We can be able to say, I trust you, God, with the future. And, that, that, you know, we don't, I don't have to be mad anymore when people that have hurt me are prospering. I don't have to be mad at that. Because God, we don't know the full story of what they're going through anyway. But even if everything's going great right now and, and they never receive Christ, God's going to do justice. But if they receive Christ, he's going to do justice. And so we can trust God with that. Very important for us to see his heart through it, this whole thing. All the way to the very last possible moment, he's trying to reach them. And we should never, ever give up on people. We should be trying to reach them, trying to reach them, trying to reach them until there's no possible time that we could reach them. I'm so thankful no one wrote me off. They could have many times, trust me. I gave people plenty of opportunities to write me off. And, and the people that continue to pray for me and love me and tell me the truth, they didn't give up. And neither should we. Let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you, Father, for your grace. And we, re- we remember how John wanted to call fire down from heaven, Lord, on the Samaritans. The same person that wrote this revelation. And Jesus, you, you told him that he didn't know what spirit he was of. We, he was of. And Lord, we, want to, we don't want to be like that. We want to be, have your heart extended towards people that uh, need you, Lord. We want to extend that heart through, our, through ourselves to them. So help us to be gracious. Help us to not rejoice in the death of the wicked, Lord. And help us, Lord, to be uh, vessels of yours through whom you can do amazing things and reach lost people, God. We just thank you for this reminder. We thank you, Lord. We glorify you and worship you that your judgments are right and your decisions are flawless and they're perfect. We trust you with our lives. Help us to be overcomers in every sense of the word. Thank you that you, by your grace, have made us more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's